Hey everyone, it's Adrienne here. Welcome back to the Power Hour podcast. Today's episode, I am joined by the wonderful Candice Brathwaite. What can I say about Candice? Wow. She is a Sunday Times bestselling author, a presenter, a speaker, a mother. She's really a pioneer and icon for black British women. And in this episode, we talk about the nuances of race and identity and motherhood. We talk about cancel culture and social media. We talk a lot and we laugh. And there's just, I loved this episode and this conversation so much. So I really hope that you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Let's dive in. Welcome to the Power Hour. I'm Adrienne Herbert, wellness coach, international speaker and author. Each week, I speak to a variety of guests, from business founders to Olympic athletes, leading coaches, changemakers and innovators, to find out their daily habits, their rules to live by, and what motivates them to get up out of bed each day. Personally, I am on a mission to encourage, motivate and inspire, so I hope that the Power Hour will help you to achieve your personal and professional goals. Candice, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It has been a minute, but I knew that we would make this happen. <laughs> Honestly, we were just saying like, what has taken us so long? We've both been like, no pressure, but we've both been uber busy. So I'm very happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, no, it's great. And uh, how, yeah, how how are you right now? How's everything going? How am I right now? I'm I'm quite anxious. The world is opening up a bit more. And we, all of us who... Def- find ourselves as creatives have learned how to work from home and just get things done and all of a sudden everyone you work with is like be here be there be at this shoot come to this meeting come to this dinner and I'm like whoa I actually started to get really comfortable with this working from home life and also it's been a revelation to see what we can get done if we change the way we work so I'm a bit anxious to be honest Mm. Yeah, I hear that as well. And I feel like for me, as it's starting to change, as you said, things starting to open, I'm such a, I'm such an extrovert, Candice. I love being in the room with people. So my go-to is to be like, yes, I want to do all the things. I want to be everywhere. But what I've learned, similar to you, I mean, I've been at home. I've never been at home so much. Mm. And actually, I feel like I've got to prepare myself for this social fatigue because, you know, you go out, you do these things, you're here, there and everywhere. And I used to do that every day. Pre-pandemic, I did that, you know, same as you. That's when I used to see you all these places <laughs> and now I'm like wow if I do that for three days I'm gonna need a day off exactly. to recover exactly and you know what I was saying on insta stories the other day we'll probably get into it later but I really hope what happened the past year and a bit is the death of the influencer dinner I don't want <laughs> to go to any damn dinner to promote any damn thing unless it's a paid job because that's different right but I just think Mm. god we used to spend so much time rushing to and fro and it's like oh no there are there are there are better ways to promote stuff now surely Mm, I mean you're right and also I mean I will be really honest with you those influencer dinners especially with the work that I do they're always in like the wellness space the fitness space you know me I'm a runner I have an appetite those (laughs) wellness dinners those wellness dinners that were so small I'd be ordering chips to go with my gluten-free vegan food I was like I need a meal I remember I think it was the first time we met we where did we go Berlin or something and like there were no options for you that morning and like (laughs) 
I was starving. I was give me food. I said, I want real food. I don't want healthy gluten. I want real food. Well, let's get into it because, you know, over the last 18 months, 24 months, I mean, there's been so much change, radical mm. change, so many things, but also, you know, in the world, obviously, mm. but also on an individual level, you know, yeah. like you have done so much, you've achieved so much, you know, things must have changed for you in countless ways. Yeah. And so I'd love to kick off really with talking about the book you know obviously your book came out last year I am not your baby mother it provides an insight into what it means to be a black British mother and how a lack of awareness of the racial dimensions of motherhood can have de- detrimental and actually even deadly consequences mm. so before we get into all of that I'd just love to know really you know what was that process like to you know writing that book to the timing of when it came out to becoming a Sunday Times bestseller like yeah. all of this <laughs> it's been a lot so yeah let's talk about the book it- it has and um, first I always start with the story that that was the book that almost didn't make it it always goes that way I think I'd been turned down 10 times across different publishing houses uh and so I was just about to self-publish I'm not your baby mother people don't believe that now and then Quirkus came along and were like oh my word no just give us one stab at it I was really reluctant it felt like the book I didn't want to write because the motherhood space, especially online, is saturated with books. And I was like, I don't know what I could possibly write to add to this conversation. It seems blindingly obvious now. Um, at this point in time, I'm Not Your Baby Mother is the only book about black British motherhood in the entire British library. There is no other type like... <laughs> wow. <laughs> Like, wow. So as much as I was sitting there thinking, like, what do I have to say? Clearly there's something. So as you will well know, all this publicity is building. You're going to be here, there and everywhere. COVID comes along and I just watch my diary tank. And I'm like, wow, how do you promote a book when you can't be anywhere? I was so nervous. And then still, unfortunately, I use the term unfortunately, like the week after or just before I'm Not Your Baby Mother comes out, the murder of George Floyd goes viral. And all of a sudden, it feels like the entire universe finally wants to hear from black voices and Mm. change their ways. And I found I'm Not Your Baby Mother getting swept into these lists about the books you should be reading to change your perspective. Um, And then we just see the book like fly up the Sunday Times bestseller list for a month because it keeps getting pushed to people with like why I'm no longer talking to white people about race and me and white supremacy by Leila Saad and I was just I'm just at home like are you kidding me you could you could not possibly prepare for that moment you wouldn't want to because it involved the murder of a black man that didn't need to happen so there was no way you could prepare for that and I'm very like um I, I I look at I'm not your baby mother like a pregnancy, a surrogate pregnancy. I did the graft, we gave birth to the work, but it actually doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and like a pregnancy, it took a lot of hands to get that work here. Like the publishers, the editors, um, the people who read it and love it and share it. But I feel so um, supremely disconnected from that book now. it's weird Mm. to say yeah Mm, yeah it is it's interesting actually hearing you say that because 
Yeah, I think on the one hand, I'm thinking, are you doing yourself a disservice? You know, that work, the, you know, you didn't sit down, as you say, and go, someone didn't come to you and say, you know what, Candice, we really need, you know, from a PR perspective, it's a real big gap in the market right here. Could you give us that, you know, could you give us that book that we can put there? You had done this work, you have been doing this work. And as you said, you went out with that book and you just turned down and turned down and turned down. Maybe people weren't open to hearing it maybe people thought this isn't something people want to listen to or want to buy and yes the conversation may have changed you know literally you turned overnight Mm. but you didn't you didn't your perspective didn't change you have been there you had been there and all the work all the research all the conversations ever since the day I met you Mm. that has what's been coming out of your mouth since the day that I met you so I really yeah I don't know how I feel about hearing you say that because I don't want you to displace that credit as well and say yes of course you know there's publishers and there's things and there's PRs and things happen to make a book but those words are yours that work is yours and what you've done yes whether the timing or not people having that resource that's gonna that will stand this that will stand the time do you know what I mean that's not just it's not just for now that know, isn't it's not just for now do you know what you have a point so I'll backtrack and say that perhaps I seem like dismissive and disconnected because it truly is my lived experience so by the time that book came out it's like I am that it's now one in four I am that one in four that almost died in childbirth with my kid or the postpartum period I am the black mother who constantly felt like she was being judged or for socioeconomic reasons couldn't do NCT like that was my life Mm. um and so like you're saying like it wasn't just a flash in the pan it wasn't a PR moment like I've been trying to get people to this way of thinking to understanding um how different it is to be not only a black mum but a black woman in Britain years before we had like our George Floyd moment years Mm. before and it just wasn't the in thing Imagine that, like, you know, being woke or un- or being empathetic to the struggles of black people in the UK was not the in thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Yeah. And also not only just it, was it not the in thing, but it was also broadly accepted that it was okay for people to have a kind of I guess like a non a non stance, like a no mm. statement. It wasn't like a oh I disagree with this. It was just like a this isn't of interest to me and that's okay yeah that's what changed that is definitely what's changed I mean we're going to come on to that more but actually you know you mentioned uh, the stats and and being one of those yourself one of those statistics you know not just being like here's the numbers Mm. but actually you know I want to kind of draw some of those stats out for the listeners who may not be aware of it but black black British mothers in the UK are five times more likely to die in childbirth than white women. According to the Office of National Stats, black babies have a 121% increased risk of being born, of being stillborn, and 50% increased risk of dying within 28 days of birth compared to white babies. So, I mean, that's just some of the stats. There's a lot more, and obviously it's nuanced, but those stats speak for themselves. You can't you can't deny them. So since you first shone a spotlight on this, which I think was actually back in 2018, mm. so three years before, um, what's changed? Do you think that the media, you know, is giving more attention to this? The NHS is giving more attention? To is the conversation actually going to change those stats or are we just simply being made aware of them? Um, 
I think they are changing. The, the back end of last year, that number fell um, for black women dying in childbirth in the postpartum period to one in four. So something has changed. But I tell you what, babe, it has been the fight of a lifetime. And I'm caught between a rock and a hard place because, yeah, I use social media. Yes, I'm in the public eye. But I'm also very aware of how this data is juicy for production teams and for people to create content around. How committed all of these people are to the cause is yet to be seen, you know? And are we going to be um, writing about this, making shows about this, petitioning for this in three, four years' time till we can bring that number down to zero? Like, till we are on par with our white counterparts in the maternity space. I've sat in so many mind-numbing, anger-inducing meetings and panel talks with the NHS, who, for what, for many reasons, don't want to admit that that institution, like all institutions here, are racist from the inside out. No one wants to say that. And I also don't want to put pressure on black clinicians to say that because they still have families to feed. So it was really interesting to be in this space, not connected to the NHS, not a doctor or a clinician, and to have the privilege, it is a privilege, to light the place up and just be like, you're lying, you're not doing enough, you're blinded by white privilege, what are you going to do about it? I know that I'm in a really special seat because I have friends who work really hard in the NHS who just can't say those things. So I mm. have, we have to be aware that this is going to take time. And I sigh saying that because it's like, it's taken a long time already, you know? It's taken a really long time. And do I think these stats will be eradicated in my lifetime? Absolutely not. But does that mean that we should, um, that we shouldn't commit to trying to bring them down? That's not an option either. So we do have to continue to move forward. I just think there was a um, an overflow. It was like everything had reached boiling point. And now, be it through work like I'm Not Your Baby Mother, things on TV, petitions, if that's what it takes to get the NHS to realise they have to do more for black and brown bodies in the maternity space, then I'm fine with that. Actually, I retract the fact I said black and brown bodies because the data is different. The data is different for mixed race women. The data is different for Asian women. And I, we all have to get into a habit of not lumping us all together. That that by POC, that BAME nonsense. It's like, no, it, the data is, is different and more damaging and more deadly for black women. So I take that back. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's, a, you know, really, again, for listeners of the show who may, I don't know how how much education they have on these topics but you know it's so nuanced and I do hear that I, I, I actually had a conversation about that this morning of people clubbing things together that should not be clubbed together and just understanding that you know what these things the different systems the different there's layers to this there is layers and just understanding that as a first point that's probably what I ask first is like before we go into this and this and this and it's deep 
Just understand that these things are different things. We're talking about different things. We can't just go, okay, yeah, BIPOC this and like, oh, but what about, you know, gender inequality that? And then let's talk about, you know, well, what about disadvantage because of disability Mm -hmm. and trans agenda? And I'm like, I'm not saying that we have a hierarchy of which ones are important, but please don't put them in one category because it's so, it's, I mean, it's confusing enough as it is for people to have these conversations without trying to, yeah, just over like layer these things on top of one another it almost becomes um yeah I think it almost becomes impossible then for people to to have an understanding of what the real issue is yeah so I completely agree that separating them out and saying black women that is a category that is the mm. what we're to- talking about and that's where those stats really are yeah the, the people that are the most disproportionately disadvantaged across so many stats not even just that yeah but it's a lot it's a lot <laughs> And we, you touched on already a little bit around saying, you know, the media and, um, you know, production and mm. even social media. And I think that's something I really want to talk to you about because although Instagram has done a lot, I really think it's done a lot. Like it's certainly done a lot for me and I think for, for yourself. And I think it's given a voice and a place mm. for a lot of people to share, to be heard, to be seen. And I actually think that it's, you know, yeah, I think, you know, I certainly think back to when I was a child, you know, I didn't have, I couldn't mm. find those things. I couldn't seek it. You know, this whole thing of like, look, I couldn't even seek it. So I think in that way, I'm like, great. But the flip side is that I sometimes think it's created a sort of online echo chamber utopia where it appears like everyone's learning everyone's listening everyone's woke like we're resharing petitions we're doing swipe ups we're doing black squares and you know look isn't it great but how does that translate offline so this sometimes performative activism which can get high engagement and lots of likes you know is that enough this virtual kudos like do you think like what do you think needs to happen really to ensure that this online comes offline and what does that really look like do you know um i saw a friend the other day she had some drinks in her garden and some really in terms of like the media world some really powerful people were there none of them have social media accounts the people that are in the positions to hire and fire and make these boardrooms diverse are not on social media and so I'm trying my best because it's hard to even be like, don't do that. But I'm always like, you point one finger, three are pointing back at you because I indulge in this space as well. But like the minute we log off, we all have to check ourselves and be like, right. And now what movements are we making in the real world? Are we taking our children to school and investigating what material is being taught to them? What books are available in the library? Are we going to our workplace and trying to engage with um, our co-workers whom we know are different to us and that difference is going to mar their earning opportunity and are we willing to stand with them in conversations around how much they're being paid are we willing to go and try and open up our friendship groups um, in real life and not just be like oh I'm friends with these black influencers or these Asian influencers online that's enough are we willing to do that in our real life only then are we going to see real change because I tell you what in the last I wouldn't even say year last six months I've really had a wake-up call to just how how loud this online echo chamber is and how different it is once you put your phone down like mm-hmm. how my area is just a constant conservative stronghold right like so <laughs> what what ha, what am i doing in these spaces how am i even as the black woman who is normally um 
the one on the lowest totem pole, I still feel like I have a responsibility to go out there in the real world and make a change. And that means a lot of the time, and you would know this all too well, um, people don't always get to know that because a lot of the work I'm trying to do, I'm either completely NDA'd up, up to my bum, like I cannot speak about <sighs> it, or um, I don't want to speak prematurely. So it's very like you get these DMs or these messages that are like, yeah, but what are you doing in the?" And I'm like, I would love to show you, but I'm not at liberty to do that right now. But because I have this huge platform, I think everyone expects to see me bring that work back here. And they're just two separate things. And so that also Mm. means, and I'm sure we'll get onto this, we need to be really mighty careful about... um, picking on people because we don't see certain things on their social feeds i know some Mm -hmm. people who absolutely have not put up a black square or like i said they're not even on social media and the the moves they are trying to make in the real world to ensure that people um who are black or people who are disadvantaged in any way are getting what they're due you could not believe but but Instagram isn't their first port of call in the morning. Like jumping online and saying, oh, this is what I'm doing. It's just not, it's just not been imprinted into their DNA. So we're in really muddy, muddy waters right mm. now. Yeah, because, you know, I, yeah, those people, I know those people too. And I think, yeah, there's definitely, you know, yeah, stop with this whole like, well, what are you saying about mm. it? What are you doing about it? But the flip side is what bothers me more. The flip side is what bothers me more is the people with all the time to be, like I say, posting that black square, doing the most online. But that is all. That's where it stops. That's, they don't, you know, their own lives are not impacted, are not changed. Mm. You know, they don't even... I, I don't. I doubt they've read a book, but they're, they're, it's easy to press retweet. It's easy to press retweet. And I think that's where my issue is. It's like, how do you... Yeah, I don't know. I just think people taking those things offline and saying, you know what, in that real space, as you just said, in my workplace, with my children at the school mm. drop, in, I don't know any interaction in my life in the NHS when I'm sitting in the waiting room my own biases everyone has biases of course we do but like actually understanding that it's not enough it's not enough to just engage online and you know like a few posts or share a few posts and kind of say you know look I'm woke I'm doing enough I think it's really difficult and I think as much as like I said Instagram has been or any social media you know I think it's given a voice it's given you know you can be seen you can be heard and people can look and listen and learn I just worry that you know in my my daily experiences whether it's in you know working with brands working with individuals working with photographers honestly during the last year there's been so many instances that have just literally like left me mouth my mouth open I'm just like did that person just say that to me and it's because as I said because it's like this I, I fall into it myself of thinking oh great you know we're so progressive everyone's learning and then you have those moments you're like oh no Mm. (laughs) nothing's happening nothing so yeah it's difficult very difficult and it's also um so there's currently and I I want this to age well but there's currently something that is uh, a really big important topic in the news right now and I don't go in my dms often I would encourage anyone with a large platform to get some help with that. But I saw a message the other day where someone was was infuriated that I hadn't spoken about this topic yet. And I just want us to leave room for people to say, I do not know enough. 
I am just not that educated. This issue is so nuanced that I couldn't possibly come on this platform and even dare to educate other people when I am in kindergarten, I am in nursery on on this current news topic, on these people's lived experience. So it's not, and this is, so I'm always mindful because people are like, oh yeah, Candice, the activist. I'm like, absolutely not. Even if I am an activist, I'm doing that role part-time because most of the time I'm trying to educate myself because there is so much going on. There is so much inequality. There is so much um, pain and suffering and war. And I hate to use the term, but for ease, conflict, that I couldn't possibly speak on everything because I'm going to get it wrong. And with a platform like that, I have a responsibility to only speak when the education is top notch. Because I don't know who's going to take that information and be like, well, Candy said, so this must be correct. And that puts anyone with any kind of platform in a really sticky situation. And it's Mm. like... Again, we're caught between that rock and a hard place because when I talk about white people and white privilege, it's like, yeah, you could post that black square, but what do you really know? What are you really doing? So I even find myself trying to leave wiggle room for those um, white people where I haven't seen a black square or them not speaking about a certain topic because I'm like, um, maybe, just maybe offline you are doing the work. I know that's that might be just me being kind and far too empathetic, but I do feel No, but I think we have to have... Yeah, and I think we have to have room for that. As you said, you know, having that, I think what you just described, you know, saying I'm, I am learning this. I'm not mm. going to come and hold the mic until I know what I am talking, what I'm preaching. And I think, you know, there has to be room for this nuance. There has to be room for people to make a mistake, for people to say, I'm willing and I'm here. I'm in this conversation. So please let me be open to also not shying away from, you know, this word of like discuss debate or conflict you know it mustn't be conflict and actually saying to people you know what maybe we welcome thoughtful disagreement maybe we don't all share the same views the same bias but we want to hear lived experience and actually maybe i learned something maybe by saying something wrong i go i got it wrong like let's have a conversation around that let's not police and cancel people and actually that's the next thing i wanted to talk to you about is this you know this is you know this cancel culture thing and i'm hearing this more and more and more i'm hearing this that you know apparently right now we not just live in a time of cancel culture but also apparently it's the death of free speech so we're no longer allowed you know some people would say they're no longer allowed to say what they want to say because oh i'm not allowed to speak anymore or i you know i'm at the back of the line or as a as a white male or as a whatever i'm not allowed to talk so therefore this death of free speech and um it's actually, it was around the incident, the TV incident with Piers Morgan, mm. you know, when he walked off set live after and then and then resigned. And it was kind of, he was kind of being painted as the victim of cancel culture. And I guess I'd just love to hear your perspective on this, Candice, in the sense that I believe we're no longer living in a time of the death of free speech. I believe we're living in a time where you can no longer speak without being held account to your words, especially if those words have a hugely negative impact on others so yeah when it comes to the cancel culture and uh, the death of free speech what are your thoughts on that i think the first thing is to all uh, we all need to get clear on what is free speech and what is hate speech and what has been camouflaged as free speech but now those who are impacted it are saying no that's hurtful and that's hateful to me and it would be a man who 
embodies the privilege of, say, a Piers Morgan, who would be the one saying, oh, absolutely, you know, this is just free speech. But sweetheart, you wouldn't know hate speech if it hit you because you're at the top of the leaderboard, right? There is no one in front of you saying, oh, get back down there, white guy. So you wouldn't know hate speech if it came at you like a number two bus. There's that. And I just think it's like, um, yeah, it's too easy to just be like, oh my God, it's all cancel culture. I can't have my say anymore. It's about understanding there are times when you could just be quiet and learn. And when people have got too used to holding the mic or not having to, as you were saying, be held accountable for the things that they're saying, it must feel like, do you know what? This is going to make me giggle. It must feel like being a black woman. It must feel like being an Asian woman. It must, it must feel like um, what you want to say isn't valid and no one wants to hear from you. And whilst I want to sit here and be like, oh my God, boo-hoo, poor you, join the club. Get to the back of this queue, you know? Mm-hmm. It, or it just, and this is the thing. It's like we cannot have these platforms and feel like we can do and say anything and not be reprimanded. I will say that the energy of um, repercussion for the in- from the internet is really scary because... I've seen some people fall victim to cancel culture where I'm like, gosh, if that was 10 years ago, I'd be out of here too, you know? Um, Mm. Are we leaving enough room for, yes, people to be reprimanded, but then also allowing them to come back into the ring and learn, grow and change if we feel like they're sincere in their understanding and their apology? I do think that exists. But again, based on privilege, there's more room for, for others. Uh, I've seen black women not be able to get their career back or not be able to storm off a show and then go and get picked up by another show because they are black women. Like that wiggle room for women that look like me, for a woman that looks like you, is so thin. The margin for error is so thin. It's like you're constantly holding your breath because it's like, I have mouths to feed too and I've got a lot I want to say, but I'm always going to second guess myself because I know that I can't just go and get another job. So it's like, Mm. there are, as ever, it's so nuanced, it's so layered. Do I think it's like cancel culture? I don't know, because so many of the people that feel they've been cancelled still live in Notting Hill or are still billionaires. (laughs) Do you know? (laughs) You're good. Yeah, you're good. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, I, I... I feel like the, the, the ones that scream about can- the, the, the detrimental effects of cancel culture the most are actually not that impacted by it. And mm. so, yeah. But I think maybe on, a, maybe on a more, like a downer notch from those people, I think I see it exist in my day-to-day life. And it's actually, you know, it's been really confronting and, and quite challenging for me personally. Like it's been, I've had some upsetting conversations where, you know, people who they're just not open to the conversation because as you said, they've never had to have it before and they don't feel like that they should have to. And now it's like, well, it's not, you know, I've heard things said to me like, well, I can't say anything anymore because I'm white and it's not my fault that I'm white. And it's not, and there's all these things around kind of, you know, the individual of saying, yeah, it's cancel culture. I'm not allowed to speak on these topics when actually, as you said, they're not willing to listen. They're not willing to learn. They're not asking the question. They, and I think if we, we flip it around and kind of go this is an opportunity this could potentially be an opportunity for us all for them for you for me whatever to learn to listen but unfortunately 
as you just described of the narrative of the person who speaks up and the person who, you know, challenges the other person or this whole thing of people saying, call people out, be an ally. The reality is, as you described, I've got friends in, you know, different industries, whether it's media, whether it's front facing, whatever, who are being, you know, one hand people are saying to them, come on, speak up, use your voice, sis. And on the other hand, it's people going, mm, don't be that person, don't make a trouble, don't be this and that, because it makes it more difficult. People will see you as, oh, that's, she's difficult, or it's the difficult conversation, or, oh, and you know what happens as a result of that? You speaking up and using your voice, you get less work, you get less, I don't know, whatever yeah. you want to call it. And that is the bottom line. It shouldn't be the case that you have to just, you know, toe the line and, you know, mm. smile and do the thing. But let's be real, like stop telling the people who are, okay, black women, well, come on, take the mic, sis, do more. Yeah. When actually they're the one that suffers when they're, they're not getting booked. They're not getting the gig. <laughs> come on. Thing. And I, you know, and I see myself, it's so funny. I, I think um, many people watching me would see me as outspoken. And I'm, what makes me giggle about that is for every time I've spoken out, there have been minimum 20 times when I've not said anything. Mm. minimum like if you see me actually speak out on a topic or say how deeply hurt I am you best believe there have been five sleepless nights before I've made that decision because I'm like I have to weigh up if speaking my truth as they say is worth it it's like saying that you're hurt or you're embarrassed or you feel slighted or you feel like something was mismanaged that could cost you a mortgage payment this month. And is that truth worth it? Can you imagine that? Mm. In the face of feeling like you've been done wrong, I still have to crunch numbers. I still have to be like, is speaking my truth, is taking the my sis, as they say, it like, is this going to work out okay? And that is a really scary place to be. And I hate the fact that the burden, that the highest burden of this work of like activism still falls at the feet of primarily women who are black, Asian, you know, it's like, you guys still want us to do the backbreaking work, still want us to take even less home because once we call someone out, we're not getting booked. And, you know, you just want to then fly off into the sunset. Like, something's not right here. And I need to see more people who were just born with that privilege doing the things that we cannot do. Because we're not going to get a job again, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And actually doing, as you say, not just not just talking not just li actually doing and you know there's so much and of course it's not going to change overnight I know we can't just go woo you know click our fingers and you know systemic racism doesn't exist but I just think you know as if but I do think that yeah what I really hope for I guess is that people are willing as I say to have these nuanced conversations to ask questions to listen to learn to get things wrong and just to mm. just engage that's my only ask from people sometimes is like just engage that's all you know if everyone was like okay you know what I'm just going to engage in it instead of having like I said that kind of no stance that would yeah. be I think huge huge leaps and bounds forwards yeah but moving on I want to talk about you know lighter things because Candice for anyone that follows you online for anyone who's ever met you they will see the joy the infectious energy your laugh the looks the looks the looks <laughs> that you are giving us we do not deserve you so you know through all of it I just want to know you know throughout 
you know, being at home, obviously homeschooling, you know, all of it. Like I said, if you follow Candice's joy online, then you're welcome. But um, yeah, I guess I just want to talk about that really. And, you know, how has that been? How How is it for everyone, for for the family? It's been a, it's been a, a, a necessary learning curve. There were things happening in my household's life just before COVID hit that now when I look back on reflection, I'm like, and you absolutely could not continue down this path and do the things that you were doing and grow as a family. So I'm actually really grateful, um, even though it's really painful. You know, I did an interview the other day and the person speaking to me was like, oh, you know, you seem so happy and your energy and, you know, it's infectious, it's electric. And I laugh because I'm like, and it cost a hell of a lot to be me. And I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about as a black woman who will speak up for herself and doesn't give a damn about respectability politics and is very quick to call out my own community for its nonsense, that will make you a pariah super quick. And so this infectious energy has cost me love and adoration, even if actually it's fake, in the space where you would go for it first. Mm -hmm. And so I'm always really mindful that when people are like, you know, how do you do that? You seem so, I'm like, it's backbreaking work being this happy as a black woman, because it does mean for a long period of time, I was really lonely and I'm the black sheep and people constantly look at me like I'm crazy because we don't get to see black women who look a lot like me being joyful, living their best life mm. in this nuclear family, trying to raise kids. We don't get to see that narrative, you know? Mm. And so I'm like, for the women that look like me, for any kind of black woman, I'm like, this is this is costly work, but it is so worth it it is so worth it to wake up every day and be like are you vibing with you Candice yeah we're chill good Mm -hmm. then to be the Candice of a year two two years ago who's like I don't like this person's energy Mm. could be a friend could be a family member I I feel like I cannot be my full self around them I feel like someone's picking a fight with me not based on their hate for me but based on the fact they hate what I represent or they hate the lack they they see in themselves when they're next to me that's 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 too painful and too heavy and if I am even going to be a part-time activist it does mean the rest of my life should be smothered in joy smothered mm-hmm. I'm like do you know how much it, it took to get me here and I don't just mean in the sense of you know feeling like a pariah but just from an ancestral level I don't I don't want to like be a mule anymore I don't want to do it I don't want to do it Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I feel like and you don't have fu- to they're not binary yeah. I think that's it right you don't have to be like okay I do this work I believe these things I share this and it's hard and it's traumatic and it's painful so as a result let me be a martyr let me have no joy let me have oh. nothing good because everything is oh. bad and it's like excuse me the polar you know these two polarizing things have been like yes this is difficult yes this is hard and I deserve the joy the fun all the rest of it and I can have both they don't have to you know because it can feel difficult right to be like it's not something you just switch it off and then you're like woohoo fun but actually I think how would you do it without that how exactly and it's like I uh you know someone and I knew they were trying to be nice was like you know when I first came across you I questioned how someone positioned as an activist could have so many designer handbags and I had to giggle at that I had to giggle because it's like actually no sweetheart 
I feel like if I was a white woman who was positioned as an activist carrying a Birkin, you wouldn't question that. You would say that's payment for a job well done. It's because you don't expect this item or this joy or this family from a woman that looks like me. And like I said, with black women of all shades, that is our final hurdle. Mm. It's like... Yes, you're doing this backbreaking work or you're educating people or you're, you know, this this work could be in-house in your family. It doesn't mean that you need to be stripped naked, crying, lying in the mud for that to be your reality. Mm. Like I can go and be bougie in old Bond Street and know that I still have to come home and raise a son who, for whatever reason, is more likely to be slain by police or is more likely to be um, stabbed just based on the postcode in which we live. Those two dual realities can coexist. And if there's one thing people take away from engaging with me, whether that be online or off, is like, damn, that that's a that's a real lived yeah. And it's happening. It's a, like I, I I'm I, we reach for her all the time because she's seemingly like you. Oprah's not a unicorn. Women of that ilk who come from such hard backgrounds, who have seemingly transcended to a space where they appear to be alien-like, she is not a one-time thing. Hmm. I know so many of those women in my real life. I, I just feel like black women are only now coming out of the shadows to say like, well, I'm a property investor, or I collect Birkins, or I enjoy drinking champagne on the weekend because for so long we've lived in a place where the world has said, oh, that, that's not for you. That's not for you. Get back on the field. <laughs> and now, like, you best get back on that field, girl. <laughs> it's like, no, 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 no. Social media, YouTube, whatever, has now encouraged black women to say, whatever your version, and it's important that I say this, your version of luxury is. Because for one person, it's a Chanel handbag. And for another person, it's five days in the Maldives by themselves. Whatever your version of luxury is as a black woman, not only are you deserving, you are entitled to it. Hmm. Because the world is not, the world is not just going to give you your reparations. They're not just going to be like, oh, I stole this land from your great, great granddad. Here you are. Like, let me just give you this back now. You actually have to go and seek it. Mm. And, yeah, and also it's not, crazy. yeah. No, but no, seriously, I'm just sitting here going, mm-hmm. Because also it's not even just the, as you described it as luxury and, you know, those choices of like, what is that for you? But also bringing yeah. it back to, as I said, the way I think of it is joy. Like what are the mm. things that bring you joy? And regardless of whether it's, you know, consuming something, whether it's doing something, going somewhere, being whatever you want to be, I think whatever that thing is for you. And yeah, for, for, for people of color, for black women, for brown women mm. to go, this brings me so much joy and I'm not going to, dilute it or feel shame about it because I think again going back to what you said before I've certainly had the experience I know that friends of mine have AJ a friend who you know very well as well you know we've had those conversations where it's like you have to dilute that joy or you have to feel like you know what I can't shine that light so bright because people are like oh suddenly it's boastful suddenly oh, it's be gross humble. Be, suddenly, humble. be humble suddenly as well it's too much and it's like it might be too much for you but let me tell you something it is not too much for me I can, thank you very much this is what we deserve it's not too much exactly and also um you're only saying that based on the woman who is who is showing this light let's be real when we see uh, just for example a white influencer or a white property investor because you're used to seeing a person of that ilk succeed it's not a turn off to you you are only turned off when you see black women living their best life 
Well, too damn bad. Too damn bad. And I employ any black woman listening to this to be like, we need to see each other walking in that light because it then encourages the rest of us to come out of the shadows. I want you to hear that again, okay? If you are a black woman listening to this and you hear what she just said, we need to see each other shine. We see each other, uh, we need to see each other win. We need to see win. each other and applaud and say, you know what? It's not you or me anymore. You know, back in the day, right? It was like, uh, oh, she's got the seat. I had no room left for me. Actually, no, we all want to see it. We want to celebrate it. We want to it. live it. We want to live it. And you have to... Um, we also have to get into the uh, understanding that it's a practice, right? Because I'm not going to sit up here and lie to you, babe. There are times I see a woman who looks like me doing something or achieving something. And there's a slice of me that's like, oh, damn, she beat me to it. We know how this industry set up. And it's like going to the gym, right? You have to override that laziness, override <laughs> that voice in your head that's like, oh, tomorrow. And and your new voice has to come in and be like, no, I am, I am purposely going to comment happy things. I am purposely going to lift your name up. Even though I know there's a slice of me that feels like I maybe can't do that now, you've got to override it. You've got to get into that practice of, of, of seeing that there's a part of you that's fearful because we've always been taught there's not enough seats for us and you have to override that with abundance Mm. and it's a habit Mm. it is a habit you you know I'm not gonna lie and be like oh I'm so perfect at that there are still moments now where I'm like oh my god I know you know I know how this machine seems to be poised against me and I know if I see someone who looks like me doing that thing that I wanted to do how fear is the first instinct oh god I've been robbed oh god they won't pick me now. Scarcity. You have to, yeah, yeah. You, you got to override it. Yeah. You have to get into that habit. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, you know what? Well, it, it's we say it is changing and I do think that it is changing and we've got to all be a part of that change and keep that conversation keep that like I say the celebration and the applause we've got to keep it loud but I think Mm. back you know 18 years ago when I graduated from (laughs) right I mean I mean I don't look it but come on 18 years right 18 years ago when I graduated from dance school and I remember going into auditions and you know I remember you know that that industry then was very like okay there's one spot for the mixed race girl with the big hair Mm. and I remember people almost dis D what's the word is it decrediting but like taking away from me you know saying well you got that because or you know oh it's lucky for you because actually out of these 200 girls there's five mixed race girls and they're gonna need one and it's like there's always these layers but something I'm thinking about when you're talking is like yes as, as as an individual I've definitely been before going okay you know what, there is only one spot and there is five of us, but, and that's, that's been there across so many industries, whether it's, you know, media, whether it's modeling, whether it's fashion, fitness, Mm. sport, performance, theater, it's there. But now, as I said, now that the, the, everything has its pros and cons, right? Now there's more seats and people are like, oh, you, you, well done, but you know, you got that because, right? And it's that, that's also coming into the conversation. I'm seeing it left, right, and center, and I'm seeing it on people's faces. Even if they don't say it, I'm seeing it on their <laughs> face where it's like, oh, Adrienne, it's like, great. But of course, they needed someone who's not white. So lucky you, because it's that. And actually, I mean, wow, we're really going there. But like, I heard that, that honestly, Candice, a conversation that, I mean, my mind was blown, and it's still like in just sketched in my brain from a conversation where I heard a white woman who is, you know, she's got a big following. Mm. She's very, very present online kind of saying, you know what? It's a really tough time for me right now out here because I am, it's not my fault. Again, this is the thing I heard. It's not my fault that I'm white and it's not my fault, but basically 
I'm being overlooked or I'm not going to get a look in right now because I'm white and I'm blonde and I'm educated and I'm privileged and that's not my fault. So it's this real quick thing of, oh, maybe you got it because you're brown. And I'm like, ouch, ouch, because don't take credit away from people's work, experience, passion, energy, Mm. also what they actually can deliver. People don't, you know, it's not just a case of, okay, Adrienne, you know, you, yeah, I could say you, you, your, your skin's brown. So you, you still have to deliver. And if you don't, and you also, are not getting that. Yeah. yeah also, as a black and brown person, you have to over deliver. <laughs> right. Even, even if you are the diversity pick, do you know how hard I've worked to be the diversity pick? I've had to over deliver just to be on this list of people. It's just like so mind blowing to me. And like, oh, those kind of women, people just take a seat take a seat you know the world is you were born with the idea of the world always tipped in your favor and I'm I speak about this even in the next book about manifestation and I'm like it is so much easier for white women to manifest because you've been moving in that energy since birth you just you just know the police officer is going to back you up. You know that the person um, serving you in Waitrose is not going to be shady to you. You are the embodiment of what I'm now trying to teach black and brown people about manifestation. Because the world, you feel like you know the world is tipped in your favour. So don't worry to that sweetheart. Other jobs will meet you. Like, just, chi- just chill. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I had to share because I was like, this is, um, yeah, I mean, maybe it's all coming out. It's all been in there. But yeah, and I think that, you know, the seeing is believing part, right? And I think, you know, as we, yeah, as we see, for example, you know, I think about my son, you know, nine years old in his school, he can look around left and right and see diversity. He can see different children, yeah. different colours, different this. However, when he looks up and sees authority and sees teachers, <sighs> it's not, you know, that's where I think I say to people, they're like, oh, but it's really diverse because there's loads of, you know, black kids brown kids but unfortunately you go on the website or you yeah. you know like i said you you look at he, who does he see as a role of authority every time mm. white people so you know it's, it's there's a lot of things that i hope you know by having these kind of conversations and just like you say through just listening just people just listening and going you know what okay maybe i didn't maybe i don't have all the answers but maybe i'm just gonna be aware like i didn't know yeah. this thing was going on and now i'm aware yeah There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss so we want to move on to the power hour because this is the power hour (laughs) podcast and as i said i've been waiting to have this conversation so i'm sure it's probably changed with the last year and everything but i'd love for listeners to hear from you about your typical start to your day what does the first hour typically include and is there anything that you've kind of purposefully uh created in your morning in the first hour that's like okay this is a no and this is a yes 
Um, so always get up before the kids, let the dog out for him to do his business. Yes, I'll, 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 it happens normally in the first 90 minutes, but I'll squeeze it in there. Uh, three times a week, I work out with a personal trainer. A massive no for me now is, and I, I know people have heard it so much, but I just don't consume social media in the morning. Cannot happen. Absolutely cannot take in the opinions or have like issues with comparison the moment I wake up cannot happen and um as covid was really being pushed to our news feeds i wouldn't even consume the news because that had my anxiety spiked what i do love is like a good motivational youtube session or not always calming sometimes really gross rap music i'll put it out there but music (laughs) in the background but definitely not this idea that as i open my eyes i should be jolted awake by the opinions of others it's just a massive no-no for me and I always have to get up before the kids when I don't I feel like I'm chasing my tail Mm. for the rest of the day entirely Mm. it's like oh my gosh hurry up school run like cannot do that and I'm 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 not new to exercise I've always put exercise somewhere in my life across the years but I am new to making moving my body a priority And for it to be something that I just can't move. And for the first time ever, for that not to be about what my body looks like. Mm, Well, I mean, you mentioned the personal trainer, but I also know, (laughs) Candice, you have done some of my workouts on fit. Literally screaming at you through the TV. Just like borderline, borderline craziness, but feeling so good after and using fit, um in the comfort of my own home, which as a woman who's had kids is still really important to me. I do love a good gym session, but there's something about just coming down the stairs and getting it done. I don't know about other people. I cannot schedule a workout in the middle or later on in my day. Mm. It's not going to happen. Before I even shower, of course I brush my teeth when I meet my trainer, but before I even shower, that has to happen. So I know that the thing that everyone defines as like, the hardest part of your day is out of the way and I always feel good for it my son was recently in hospital and when I saw my trainer like two weeks later I almost cried and I was like I can't believe I feel emotionally attached to you in this experience and I missed you and these painful things you have me doing it's like yeah I just you have to move your body in that way and um working out was never sold to me like that at school well, you, I wanted you know. to loop back because you mentioned, you know, it's not about, for, you said for the first time, it's not about your body. And I know that you used to run. So you did, you know, random crew. I know you ran the yeah. marathon. So, you know, so as you say, it's not like you've never exercised before. It's not new to you, but it's, it's, it's changed for you. So why do you think that it's now not about your body or why was it before? I mean, is it that, is it just that narrative of like, we were just always told actually you exercise to lose weight, you exercise to tone up, you exercise to, you know, look, look, look. And it's, and the, the aesthetic um results I think have always been front and center because people are like why would I put myself through this unless it's going to change me however now I definitely think in the space yeah people are like okay that's a byproduct but what about everything else has it been like that for you yeah and um definitely age I would say the years I was running about with random crew it was like always about my body because I was younger and that was seen as like your biggest selling point like the media did that to you and now I'm 33 so it feels like a push but as I approach 40 with every single day I care less about how my physicality is positioned for the world literally with every single day so I'm like oh I 
I could have abs if I wanted to, but that's just not the focus right now because um, back then it was for like a guy to look at me or for me to feel like, you know, I'm this cute fly young thing. And it's like, I'm still cute, I'm still fly, but I'm not necessarily young. So I just don't feel that pressure anymore. Mm. And it means And you've got that- the guy who's looking at you. Do you, do you know what and I always tell him I'm like you know and it's a running joke we have dark humor but I'm like if you die I'm just I just don't have another one lined up like I'm not interested <laughs> what like, I want I want a Bentley before I want a new man like I'm just not. wow <laughs> I'm just like mm, cat lady life fine I'm I can live um and there's something so freeing about that and it what but what makes that so funny is babe I am seeing the changes in my body I'm like I am just going into a gym and wanting to lift heavier because even though we know it's a myth I'm just like I I couldn't care less if I bulk up because none none of this now is for the male gaze Mm -hmm. and that has also like transcended into even the way I dress absolutely not for the male gaze i think i said on instagram the other day nothing nothing makes me smile wider than like a power lesbian saying to me your outfit is fly i swear to you if a lesbian lady says you look bomb you look bomb and you look bomb in a way that's not positioned for the male gaze Mm. and i just want to see working out framed for everyone every woman like that now like And just the individual, right? So again, we talk about this a lot, but like, what do you want? Because also, you know, let's be honest, the flip side of that is that, you know, we're aesthetic, you know, we talk about bias and the fact that, you know, even from an evolutionary standpoint, if you think about the animal kingdom and, you know, the the tallest or beat the chest or the the, the peacock with the feathers, you know, at the end of the day, people are attracted to people and their physicality. And I think for Mm. the person who's saying to me, you know what, I want to tone up my legs for the summer. I want to be tight and right. I want this thing. There's no shame. It's like, you do your thing, you know, get after it. But if you also want to go, you know what? Yeah, I'm lifting and I want to become strong because I want to feel strong. I want to feel empowered emotionally, Mm. physically, mentally. I want to endure. I want to prove to myself that I can. That's my thing when I run. You know, I've talked about this at length. So listeners of this show will probably know. But for me, the running, you know, it's not about the times. It's not about the the whatever. My thing when I run is I constantly challenge myself and teach myself and prove to myself I can endure. I can always Mm. progress. I am moving forwards. I'm moving towards something. Mm. Like I know when I set myself a goal, whatever it is, I'm like, whatever happens some way, somehow, I'm not fooling myself that it's going to be easy. Life is never Mm. going to be easy for me. I'm not fooling myself. So when I run, it's my constant reminder, like you can always progress and you can endure. So that's my thing. But for other people, it's like, do your thing and, and just don't feel any kind of, yeah, it should be for this or it shouldn't be for that. Because even in the fitness and, and you know, the bubble sometimes that I find myself in, there's a lot of backlash. And, you know, there's a lot of, you know, people saying to me, well, what about, you know, aesthetics and, and versus, versus, it's always versus, you know, versus mm. intuitive eating or versus self-love. I'm like, excuse me, those things don't have to be separate. To- <laughs> exactly. You know, you've got a six pack so you don't have self-love. No, like you can have it. You can, it's different for everyone. This is it. And so just take all of those rules off the table. I think one of the most shocking things for me was like, I got on this scale thing and it was not the way it was like, was it my metabolic age or something? I won't even reveal the number. I was like, hell no, girl. What we got to do to bring that down? Right. (laughs) I'm like, no, ma'am. No, ma'am. We will not be having that because it's like we 
uh, unless and this is the thing unless we fall gravely ill and end up in hospital most of us don't know how our insides are working Mm -hmm. we we just don't have that scope of information day to day and seeing certain numbers I was like you're doing a disservice to your future self yes and yes. I don't like it. Mm. And what a shame as well for, as you said, for people to wait. They wait until the heart attack or they wait until... This is it. The, what a shame. Don't you, don't you don't have to have that. You know, people say, oh, I had a wake-up call. And then every day yeah. since, you know, I changed my life. I started eating healthy. I lost weight. You know, don't... That's such a shame. Don't, it doesn't because, have to be. This is it. My, da- my dad had a wake-up call and that wake-up call went to voicemail and he died and that's always really present in my mind like a couple of years before my dad died you know he had really bad liver problems he drank too much smoked too much he just went on this massive health kick lost weight stopped smoking the fittest he'd ever been and then when sickness did come for him what is classed as the ordinary flu influenza quickly became pneumonia septicemia and his internal organs could not take it so that meant you know those two years prior it was too late Mm. and so at the forefront of my mind I'm always like I I just don't want a too late moment and no we cannot control everything but I do think you can be in the best position to see yourself through the worst situation absolutely absolutely I mean couldn't have said it better myself so thank you okay so we do have to wrap it up which is such a shame because oh honestly having not seen you and spoken to you and had you know seen you in the real life for such a long time I could just talk to you all day Candice and I'm really looking forward to you know things are opening changing I'm looking forward to getting in my car and driving and coming to see you yes I can't wait, babe. Thank you for having me. This was amazing. No, it's been great. I've got, before we go, so I've got two things. One is a quick fire round. It's going to be quick, even though I'm long-winded. And then (laughs) also it's going to be where can people, obviously, I mean, come on, find you, find you online and the new book, when, where is out? People can find me online, simply Candice Brathwaite, Brath, not Braith. I know everyone's (laughs) like, Braith, no Brathwaite and I only do Instagram and if there are any like younger black women listening stay off Twitter and Clubhouse like that I can't believe I didn't say that earlier (laughs) like choose one thing and try not to let it be Twitter and Clubhouse so only on Instagram and yeah the next book comes out July 8th sister sister note some things I've learned the hard way so you don't have to and I feel absolutely insane because the third book is gonna come out this time next year so I'm literally just on this writing loop yes but I will say like I'm any support is great when it comes to getting books out there they're really hard to sell and it's really hard to hold people's attention Mm -hmm. so pre-orders sister sister if you liked I'm not your baby mother you'll love sister sister and if you didn't read the first one it doesn't matter this will be great yes sister sister all right get it on pre-order okay quick fire round here we go so first one is can you tell us something that you love something that brings you joy something that you have purchased for 100 pounds or less (gasps) 100 pounds or less oh girl let me think that brings me joy look i'm just looking all around what is it girl come on think 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 do you know what always i'm looking at the table now always a good perfume I'm not sure which one I bought. And I do love, um, you know, like the little 10 mil ones that you can pop in your handbag. Lo- love, a- love a little perfume. So there. Right. Okay. <laughs> what is one, and this is really putting you on the spot, one book that you would recommend everyone should read? Of course, Power Hour. 
Oh, come on. I know, I know, right? I know. But outside of that, oh my God, that everyone should read. Um, there, oh gosh, it's gone from my mind now. There's an author called Mitch Album, and uh, he wrote a book, Tuesdays with Maury, where he sits down every Tuesday with an old teacher of his that is dying. And it just gives you that intimate portrait of a man who reveals his regrets and is like, this is the way. I love a book like that. Mm. Tuesdays with Maury with Mitch Album. Stunning. Ooh, okay, great. And my final one is, I ask this to every guest now, and it is, if you were given one extra hour every day, one extra power hour, because people always talked about, you know, I don't have time for this, and when I got more time that, and if I had more time, so I'm giving you the gift. One extra hour every single day, what are you going to use that one hour to do? One extra hour every single day. I would go back to school or study to be a forensic scientist because i know i know i would uh, one of my whoa people say to me i would have a bath they say to me i would read more forensics like whoa i one of my dream jobs is to be a mortician and further down the line i would love to own a funeral home but before that i think like being the first on the scene with like crime like honestly right up my street so I would definitely love to be a forensic scientist. And if I had the, the time to study that, I would. Wow. I mean, my <laughs> mind is blown. My mind is blown. I'm like, she is, I mean, wow. That's probably the best one I've heard. Because as I said, when I ask this question to everyone, and they always say, oh, one extra hour, I'd, I'd no. call my mum. So yeah, that is, um, that's really great. Amazing. Thank you so much for being such a wonderful guest, for giving us your time, because I know and I value how busy you are. And I've really, really enjoyed every single minute i hope the listeners have too and if you've enjoyed this conversation then please do share it you know share it with people who may also enjoy it but also share it with people who you think may benefit from hearing this conversation because that's ultimately you know how we're gonna how we're gonna make change yeah thank you babe